Fee, we are in the middle of this series called Everyday You, which is all about the difference that Jesus makes in our everyday lives, in the things that we spend a good chunk of our time doing Monday through to Sunday, the things where we spend a lot of energy, a lot of focus, a lot of effort, a lot of sweat, blood, and tears. What is it that is the big thing in your life for everyday you? And every, uh, every week, we've been looking at a different theme. We've produced these booklets. Do still grab one if you've not got. They're at the welcome point on your way out. Grab one. If you wanted to make a small donation for the printing cost, you're welcome to as well. But every time we've been trying to interview someone or hearing from somebody about the impact that Jesus has on their everyday lives. And so we're going to welcome this morning Bidemi. Why don't we give Bidemi a big round of applause. Let's... It's always good, isn't it, to hear what somebody's normal life looks like and the impact uh, of God on their life. So why don't you firstly tell us, tell us about your world. What do you spend a good chunk of your time through doing through the week? Okay. Hello, so I'm Bidemi. I've I'm married, got three kids, and for the last year, my entire life has been maternity leave. So it's been being a mum, being a wife, and it's been amazing. In two weeks, I'll go back to my usual job, and that's a GP, and slightly different. So as anyone who is a mum or dad or a parental figure, or anyone who works in healthcare will tell you, they're both quite full-time intense jobs. And so juggling both is just an ongoing challenge. So you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. So what difference does following Jesus have making on those things that you're trying to juggle? Well, hopefully, absolutely everything. So my faith is everything for me. And I think my kids are amazing. They're beautiful, lovely people. But there are days when they're not listening and they're fighting and they're arguing. Really? And it's really hard to be a parent. And at those times, I try and think, well, actually, God's knew me before I was conceived. He knew my kids before they were made. And he's chosen me and trusted me to raise these kids. And I try and keep that in my mind through all the sort of everydayness. My community group are amazing. They're just this bunch of people who live around me. They, I see them at school, I see them in the cafe, I see them at play groups, and they're just this wonderful group of Christians who have very much helped to raise my family. They, when Abby was born, my little one, they made a big deal of praying for her and, raise, and sort of blessing her into the group. And they did practical support. So they cooked food for dinner for us every day for weeks Brilliant. in those first few weeks when we were sleepy and blurry and barely functioning as people. And they sort of brought us these meals every night, which really helped to sort of spur us on. Brilliant. My life group is phenomenal. There's three families of us. And we've all got young children. And when we had a baby, it became a lot harder to sort of meet up every week and do this prayer. So we sort of changed things. And after years of meeting at someone's house every week, we started doing Facebook video chats. Okay. And so we all sort of meet in our own living rooms with our own cups of tea. When the kids are upstairs asleep, no need for babysitters. And every week, one of us will send a prayer request or we'll say what's going on in our lives. And the people who I know truly know me, they've sort of got to sort of know me over the years. I truly love them and trust that they're trying to help live our lives together. Brilliant. So you find, therefore, that, that Christian community, through community group, life group, yeah. church stuff, yeah. inspires you and encourages you through your week in your normal life? Absolutely. Okay. So um, every year, our community group go camping together. 
and every year our life group goes to the Peak District together. Right. And those two trips are just such a highlight of our yeah. year for our family and for our world. And then that goes to work and I feel able. It's, you can't really openly be Christian at work. It's not really a thing you can do in NHS. Sure. But you still are. Whatever you are, you're still sort of God's child. And I try and remember that every patient that comes in, when they're coming in wanting something, needing something, often they're ill, often they're scared. And actually God loves them as much as he loves me or anyone in this room. And I try and hope that I deal with them and manage them because Brilliant. of that. Brilliant. Final question then. Great. Yeah. What would you say your one prayer for your kind of everyday world is? I thought about this a lot. And if I had to have one prayer for everyone... And I think it's definitely influenced by work because I work with people who have a lot of mental health and a lot of sort of illnesses and sadness. It'd really be that everyone could see themselves and love themselves as God loves them okay. rather than as the world tells them they are. Yeah. In 2003, uh, San Francisco Zoo saw something incredible happen. In the zoo, there were 46 penguins that had been long-term residents in the pool at the zoo. And as you may well know, penguins are supposed to swim. But because of the penguin life in San Francisco Zoo, they'd forgotten quite how to properly swim. They'd started, of course, taking just regularly leisurely dips to cool down and ruffle the feathers a bit, but then stopped swimming and came back out again. In short, they weren't really living as penguins, even though they were penguins. They were now just objects of amusement and to be given the fish that they were fed. But things dramatically changed when six new penguins were moved to San Francisco Zoo from Ohio Zoo. These newcomers, upon their arrival, did what penguins are supposed to do, jumped straight in the pool and did what? Started to swim all day Every day, from the moment dawn came out, they were in the pool swimming, swimming, swimming. The zookeeper didn't notice these six newcomers harassing the others into the pool. The zookeepers didn't notice these six newcomers forcing the old-timers into the pool. But what the zookeepers did notice was that very quickly all 46 of the old-timers began to spend more time in the pool. And then very quickly, it wasn't just the six from Ohio that spent all day, every day, swimming, because they all started once again to live as penguins should do, which is spending their time swimming. Within a matter of days, the impact of six penguins had radically changed the majority in that pool. And this little story illustrates something that we all know is true. That we are all massively impacted by the environment that we spend most of our time. And we're all massively impacted by those around us in our environment. If we're in healthy environments, it helps us get in shape. If we're not, it has a negative impact. And that's why the writer of these words that were read to us earlier, to some Christians who come from a Jewish background, are quite astonishing, but are helpful for us. Let us consider 
the writer says, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's consider how we might spur each other on. Let's not give up meeting together and let's encourage each other. In short, we need each other, just as those 46 penguins needed the six newcomers. In the words of the old poet, no man is an island. Or put it like this, I was on YouTube the other day, always a dangerous thing, because you end up with this sort of spiral, don't you? And one video leads to the next. And I was watching videos of Impala in Africa. And I saw two videos. The first video was a group of Impala drinking like this. And what happened in this video was what happens, we all know happens, when suddenly one of them, from the head like that, suddenly goes up like this. And they could see that there was a leopard coming towards them. And the one, of course, made all the others' heads go up. And what did they do? They all ran and the leopard didn't catch them. Quite a dull video, really, but not dull for the Impala. The next video was way more exciting, but not for the Impala. Because what happened in this video, you may have seen it doing the rounds on social media, there were two Impala fighting. And as they were fighting against each other, what the video notices, but they don't notice, is a lion running towards them. And because they're so fighting each other, what happens at the very last minute, they suddenly realize, boy, but it's too late. And in this video, disturbing though it is, the lion gets one of them and sadly it doesn't end up very well. We need others to spur us on. That's what the writer of this letter is saying. And so when we're thinking about our everyday world, whether it be at work, whether it be at home, whatever it is we find ourselves doing, we may be there physically, as Bidemi said, on our own, but actually we need each other to keep spurring us on, says the writer to the Hebrews. And something very obvious, but let's not forget it, spur us on towards love and good deeds, spur us on, not tear down. That word spur literally means incite, provoke in a in positive way. Let me give a contemporary example of this that many of you will have seen. If you know anything about popular music, you'll have known that Kanye West last week, I think it was, released his album, a new album. Anyone aware of this? If you don't know who Kanye West is, just Google it, they'll do. He released an album that, if you don't know, has been a global bestseller, and the title of this album is Jesus is King. In fact, in the iTunes charts, in the top 10 songs, six of them are all about Jesus. Why? Because if you don't know, Kanye West, a massive hip-hop artist, self-proclaimed greatest artist of all time, <clears throat> has in the last few months undergone a dramatic change and he is now not what he calls a Christian musician. He is a Christian everything. 
And it's fascinating, his story. But what's more interesting is the story, the album. I have no idea whether it's any good. I'm not into that sort of stuff, but it's clearly very popular. But what is interesting is people's reaction to his conversion to be a Christian. Because understandably, because of who he is, social media has gone crazy. And what is interesting is how many people from day one want to tear him down. But as author Krish Kandaya said on the BBC this week about it, brilliant quote, we all benefit more from a helping hand than a pointing finger. The writer of the Hebrews says a key role that we have for each other is spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Why do we need encouraging rather than pointing? Because we get tired of love and good deeds. It's hard work. And so part of when we gather together is to encourage each other and spur each other on. May I suggest this Peanuts cartoon is not the way to do it. Why are you always so anxious to criticize me? I just think I have a knack for seeing other people's faults. What about your own faults? I have a knack for overlooking them. (laughs) It can be so easy, can't it? that we forget part of the beauty of being part of church, being part of a life group, being part of a community group, is the role we get to play in spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. And if you know deep down you're somebody that's quicker to point the finger and find out faults, these these letters, these words from the writer of Hebrews have something to say to us. I don't know if you've heard of this. Fundamental attribution error. Anyone heard of this? Just out of interest? One or two people who've done psychology will have heard about this. This is something that apparently we all find easy to do, which is we are quick to critique others on the basis of their character, but expect others to judge us on the basis of circumstances. Let me give an illustration. Years ago, before I had children, I was on a train with my mate. This is one of the most embarrassing moments of my life because whilst I was on this train, there was this young family, two parents, two children, and one of these children was screaming. And in my days before pre-kids, I, of course, knew exactly how to bring up children. And so what I did, without even thinking about it, I suddenly went, shh, to this screaming baby. Which, of course, as any parent knows, did not have the required outcome and made the noise level go 10 times more. Because, of course, I was interfering where I was not needed. In other words, I'd made a judgment about what I thought these parents should be doing. In other words, I'd made a critique about somebody being a weak parent. But of course, if I was in that boat now and suddenly someone said to me, shh, how dare they? Or as these two things say. So in other words, we think when somebody's done great, they were lucky. Whereas about us, I'm great. Or the other way around. We judge someone on the basis of their character when they've done something wrong. She must be terrible. They're a poor person, whatever it might be. Whereas if we get something wrong, we expect people to judge us on the basis of our circumstances. If only knew what I was going through. 
might I suggest we have an opportunity within church, within our groups, to spur each other on towards love and good deeds, not on the basis of judging or critiquing. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. But do you notice another thing then? If that's so important, if part of what it means to be part of church is the opportunity to keep encouraging each other, there's something else that the writer says. Do you notice? Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Because we have an opportunity to spur each other on, there's an obvious thing about this. You can only give a helping hand if you're in proximity with people. You can point from a distance. But actually, you can only truly spur someone on, give a helping hand, to use Chris Kandaya's quote, by actually getting close. Here's an example from the New Testament. We need others. Let's keep gathering together. Paul talks about this when he is on his mission. So he's loving people and doing good deeds. But look at how he describes Christian communities. Beautiful. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Do you notice that? It's both circumstantial. There is bad stuff happening, but also deep down, he's in turmoil. There's emotional stuff. So what happens? But God who comforts the downcast. How does God comfort the downcast? Comfort us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you'd given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Do you see that? He was comforted because somebody was with him. That's the beauty that Bidemi was talking about. That when we gather, whether it be on a Sunday morning, whether it be in groups, when we gather together, we touch flesh and we therefore have an opportunity to bring the sort of comfort that Paul experienced. That's what church is for. So Sundays are really important. Why? Yes, it's great to worship. Yes, it's great to hear a talk. Yes, it's great to have a warming cup of coffee on a cold morning. But actually, it's really important because of us. Would you turn to the person next to you and just say to them, you are really important. And now turn to the person on the other side and say, and so are you. (laughs) Can I sound a note of personal concern which I say about me as much as anyone else. We live in a society, I'm going to be really honest, where we can get world-class worship music, world-class teaching at the click of a button on one of these. Might I suggest that is not biblical Christianity. They may be very inspiring and yes, 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 can I encourage you to do that. But that doesn't ever take the place of what we do now and what we do in groups. You need the people around you. I need the people around you. We need each other. Because that's exactly the kind of thing that Paul was able to experience. The comfort that we get from somebody who's a follower of Jesus saying, keep going.
That's biblical Christianity. So community is key. So therefore, might I suggest that we have an opportunity tonight. We have the prayer gathering tonight. Once every couple of months, we gather together from all our sites, gathering together tonight at Bourneville at Dame Elizabeth Cadbury School, 7.45. It's an opportunity, yes, to pray. But why do we do it together? Because we do it together. Flesh, people, comforts, spurring another on. And can I just say, there will be some of us here who I know will be thinking, yeah, but I won't be missed at my life group on Tuesday night. Might I suggest you might be? (laughs) Because you're really important. You have an opportunity to bless the people around you. Now, of course, life is full. I'm not making a guilt thing. I'm just simply trying to say, we are all important for each other and therefore let's not keep up giving on meeting. Do you notice what the author says? He says these words, as some are in the habit of doing. It can be easy, can't it, to get out of the habit. Habit can be really helpful because therefore we keep on going. I don't know if you know uh, who this guy is. Anyone know who he is? Nobody's into iconography here, I'd imagine. This guy's name is Simeon the Stylite. Simeon the Stylite was a group of people called the Stylites. They weren't a hip-hop band. In the fifth century, these guys, and particularly Simeon, the most famous, he thought it was really important to live at the top of a pillar (laughs) because out of right motivation, he wanted to so sincerely follow Jesus and escape the temptations of the world. He thought if he could just live on top of a pillar, which he did for 37 years and just had food thrown up to him and all that sort of stuff. He thought that he'd be able to be holy. Friends, let's not be 21st century equivalents of that. We may not live on a pillar, but we don't need to live with just our earphones in. We need each other. So let's not give up the habit of meeting together. Final point then. Did you notice the context of all this? The very first word in these verses? Let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess, for he he who promised is faithful. The context of all this is to literally encourage us in our walk with Jesus. To keep on clinging to the hope that Jesus has got you. And he who promised is faithful. Friends, I'm guessing that for all of us at various times in our lives, there will be stages where we're not sure whether Jesus has got us. Whether the future really is one of hope. It may be that you're here this morning and you're hearing this talk about church and you know you're not a follower of Jesus. You're just here for the first time. It's great to have you. Or you're just not really sure whether you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus. Can I encourage you with the beautiful good news? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. We live in a society, don't we, which judges us on our achievements And yet here we have a reminder that he who promised is faithful. We have access to God, not on the basis of how good we are, how impressive we are. We have only access to the loving Father on the basis of what Jesus has done. And we need each other to keep on encouraging us that that's true. So when you've had a bad week at work, 
the appraisal's not gone well, when you've had a Barney with your partner, when your children have let you down again, when frankly you looked in the mirror and you suddenly realised where those two decades gone. We need each other to say, he who promised is faithful. He will carry you. And the gospel is good news for you right now. So brothers and sisters, you're an army. Let's walk with each other. Arms around those whose legs are faltering, saying, let me carry you because we're going to keep on going because the finishing line is worth it. And we need each other to carry us. So let's not give up meeting together. Let's spur each other on so that in our everyday lives, whatever they look like, challenging though they may be, we realise we've got an army of people praying for us, walking with us, caring for us, encouraging us, comforting us as brothers and sisters following the Saviour. Does that sound good?